Well, we continue our series inspired by the Jesus Storybook Bible, and we're five weeks into it. Uh, how's the memory of all those single verses going for you and your family? Uh, this is a slight reminder, not only to you, but also to me, to remember to practice them with my kids at home, or practice them with your spouse, or, or look at them as well. You can find all of them on Facebook, and as well on the weekly email called The Beat. Uh, I believe there's a link that would have the children's guide, which it's right on there. So today we move away from what, uh, where we started, which really was what often people call the primeval history. It's, it's the chapters of Genesis 1 through 11, where we looked specifically at, at creation, then the fall, then we looked at the flood, and then we looked at the Tower of Babel last week, guided by Pastor Ed. And, and we see this almost downward spiral. We, we begin with creation and everything is perfect, and then everything is not so perfect anymore as people's selfish desires begin. Taking something good that God created, twisting it a little bit perhaps, and sinning. And then we get to the flood where, where people's thoughts are always evil all the time. And then we get after the flood to the tower where people have turned instead of glorifying God that they now want to glorify themselves. It's, it's almost this series of curses that fall on humanity. But things... But things are about to change. Today, uh, I, I, we're going to begin to think about and focus, narrow down where we were looking at this vast stretch of all of creation and these stories were affecting all of humanity. We're going we're to focus everything down into one person and one family. God choosing out of the world one family from whom He will bless all the nations of the world. The story in the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, actually comes from Genesis chapters 12 through 21, different sections. I will not be reading Genesis 12 through 21 this morning, but you're welcome to do that. Uh, this week to see where different portions come from. We're going to focus on just a couple portions within those chapters. And so you can, you can first turn, if you have your Bible with you, if you don't, you can go grab it at home. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we'll get there in a moment. Today, we make promises quite often. And we often make promises without really even using the word promise. What, what we'll do is we'll be, we'll be talking to one another and maybe the phrase, well, take my word for it, comes out of our mouths. Or maybe it's the other way around. Randy says something to me and I'm like, oh, Randy's a smart guy. I'll take your word for it. We, we have this sense of, of trust. It's trusting the information, but perhaps it's trusting that they're going to promise to do what they said they're going to do. So I asked Randy to, 
to pray this morning for me, and he was standing back here, and I, I did not fret when Stephanie left because I was trusting, and I took Randy for his word that he was going to stop here and that he was going to pray. Perhaps we see it in, in other ways, too, as we interact with our neighbors. Perhaps you have a, a group of, of neighbors that you try and, and you care for one another. I know we live just right on that side of the church, and we have a group of neighbors that we interact with quite often. And, and there's times where Emily and I will, will have left to go to Iowa to visit her family or to Wisconsin to visit mine, and then I realize, oh no, today is Friday, or tomorrow is Friday, and it's trash day, and, and I didn't put out my trash can, so I reach out on a text group to my neighbors. All four houses are on that group. Hey, can someone do that? And they say, already taken care of. I'll take your word for it. When I come back, it's empty. It's been taken care of. We make promises to one another and we accept perhaps promises from others knowing that we will do what we have set forth to do. That we are people who are good for our word. That what we say is truthful and it's going to happen. There's no incorporation of a legal team. There's... There's no need of contracts. There's no real writing that takes place. There's not even often a handshake that happens. Just your word. Just my word. But the problem in our lives, perhaps, that many of us have come to know that sometimes you can't take everyone for their word. We can't always trust people to follow through on what they have said they'll follow through on. We realize that sometimes lies are told. That individuals will say what you want them to hear or what you want them to say but they have no intention of following through on what they've just said. We know that words at times can be manipulative, can be distorting, and can, can, lead, can lead us to believe something that won't happen. Comments can be deceitful, and then we're left with promises that are made and yet not kept. Promises that are made that will just fail. And I think there's a thread of that thought perhaps in our life. Trusting people for their word that's present in this story today. Is God really good for his word? Will God really do what he says he will do. We meet Abram back in chapter 11 of Genesis. You've got to be careful if you look for it. Because initially it's just a name. It's a name in the list of descendants 
of Noah's son Shem. Then we get a little bit more information as we learn about him. We find out that God gives him his word and Abram is 75 years old already. If you're 75 years or older, I want you to raise your hand. Okay? This is your first time that God is going to talk to you when you're 75, perhaps, years old. And he's going to say these words, perhaps, to you. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 5. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who you bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people in the world, all the peoples on earth, will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was, or Abram was 75 years old when he sets out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and nephew Lot and all the possessions that they had accumulated, all the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. There's some beauty in this passage as God selects out one whom he will bless the world through. It's wonderful that God promises these blessings upon Abram, but it's even more wonderful how he does it. I want us to think about curses and promises a minute. The earlier chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11, there's actually five curses that happen. Genesis 3:14, God curses the serpent. Genesis 3:17, God curses the ground. Genesis 4.11, God says to Cain after Cain kills Abel, now you are cursed. Genesis 5.29, God again mentions the ground being cursed. In Genesis 9.25, says cursed is Canaan. Five times there was cursing, but how many times now was there blessing? Five times the root word of blessing appears as God is is beginning to change. We were dealing with with cursing in the primeval history, but now the story is changing because it's going to be a story not about curses, but about blessing. I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and all the earth will be blessed after all that was experienced earlier on in the beginning chapters, the heartache, the difficulty, the the downward spiral of sin entering the hearts of people, causing them to think of evil all the time, we find the turning point of the story. So maybe Abram wondered, can I take God for His Word? Is he really going to bring about what he, he has said to me in these words? These words of blessing. Because if we look, if we look closely, God didn't really give Abram many of the details. 
He said, I will bless you, and I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and I'm going to bring you to this land that I'm going to show you. But there wasn't really many specific details about what the journey would be like. There wasn't any specific details about what the land was like. Oftentimes, if you've ever moved, at least in our context today, I know we have someone or a couple people that have moved homes, they generally know what the land looks like that they're moving to. Generally, right? Especially if people build a house there or they've bought the land or they've seen the land. But now Abram is, well, go to the land that I'm going to show you. Mike, do you trust me enough to go to the land that I'm going to show you? Perhaps Mike's like, I don't know, Pastor Steve. You seem like an okay guy. Maybe I'll, I'll trust what you have to say. And yeah, Can we trust God when he asks us to do something and yet doesn't give us all the full details? Where we need to give up basically our entire life, the, the, the family that we knew in the state, leave your father's house. You're, you're leaving all of those people that you knew before and you're moving on and and you're only bringing some possessions, all the possessions, and your wife, and your nephew, and some other individuals. God doesn't give details about hardships that are going to come Abram's way on this journey. But Abram makes a decision, and he knows this. He knows that he's going to become a great nation. God's going to do that. He knows that that God is going to bless him with the power to succeed in what he's being called to do. God knows that, that his, uh, or Abram knows that God's going to make his name great. Abram knows that God will, will bless the people that Abram blesses, and God assures Abram that people will be blessed by his obedience. And so Abram having God's word, leaves his land, and it says he arrived in the land of Canaan. But every story is not with its ups and downs. Abram's is no different. Abram gets to this promised land, the land that I will show you. But there's a famine And there's already people living there. It's already occupied. So Abram now has to sojourn again. Leaving the land that God was going to show him. Well, he did show him the land. And then they went on to another land. They had to go to the land of Egypt. Perhaps Abram wondered, when am I going to get back to this land that God showed me? When is some of the promises going to start coming to fruition? And in that, that time of waiting and sojourning in a, in a different land, perhaps we see that Abram's fears and his anxieties begin to get the best of him, begin to get in the way of his ability to trust God. And so Abram calls his wife, his sister instead, because he was, he was fearful for his own life. He said, 
you know, my wife is beautiful and maybe the, the rulers there will want to take her from me and they'll kill me, so if I call her my sister, then, then that won't happen. But here's the thing that happens. When the Egyptians find out the truth, they act honorably. God causes them to act honorably and it almost looks that it's only Abram's character and behavior that's in question. I wonder if this part of Abram's journey goes to show us that those who receive the promises of God must work to always live in a way that's compatible with those promises. We shouldn't let our anxieties and fears and questions stray us purposely from where He's calling us to go. If He said, go there and do this, we shouldn't start walking the other direction. We must be in cooperation with what God has set forth in our life. There's more questions, though, that Abram has on this journey. Later in Genesis 15, after Abram questions to God, why do I not have any children yet? Which, I'm sure that's a valid question, particularly when God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. The assumption is, yes, you're going to have a son, perhaps, an heir. And, and, and so, God, or so Abram's like, well, what about Lot, my nephew? And God gives him his word again. He says, no, I will give you an heir of your own blood, your very own Son, you will have descendants as numerous as the stars, as the Jesus Storybook Bible talked about. Lot's not who God has in mind. And yet, after God says it will be your very own son, Abram and Sarai, they devise a plan. There's a, a, a maidservant named Hagar, and and Abraham and Sarai say, well, maybe Hagar is the one that's supposed to have the child with you because perhaps I'm too old. Because it's since the initial promise, there had been days that piled up into weeks. There had been weeks that had piled up into months and months that turned into years and years that turned into over a decade. And then Ishmael is born when Abram is 86 years old, 11 years after the initial promise. And yet, when Abram's like, is it Ishmael? Is it Lot? Is it Ishmael? Is that my descendant? That's my very own blood. And God says, no. That's, that's not who I have in mind. We go to Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, this is Genesis 17, verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. This is El Shaddai, the first time that we see that name of God. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant 
between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and said to God, or, and said to him, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you, past tense, the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. God also said to Abram, starting at verse 15, As for your Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Anyone here have a child at the age of 90? No hands, by the way, everybody. And Abram said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. In spite of this perhaps unexpected in Abraham's mind, an unexpected delay, we see that in reality, God still intends to fulfill all of the promises that He had said to Abram 25 years earlier. And and God changes Abram's name to Abraham to, to show that He has stake in this. How odd would it be if a God changed someone's name to father of multitude of nations and he has no son? And all Abram can do, thinking about his 90-year-old wife and him at 100 years old having a child, is a chuckle. Three times God gives Abram his word. Three times God promises And three times, Abraham is to trust. 25 years. 25 years and the the promise that Abraham was perhaps expecting and dreaming about as he looked up at the stars at night had not begun to be fulfilled. I wonder how that plays out in our life. Those times where we're expecting something to come, a promise to be realized, and it seems that we are waiting year after year for that to be realized. I wonder 
if that promise isn't one that we even think about year after year after year, but what if it's a promise that we were expecting quicker, but for some reason those promises are broken and the trust that we once had with others begins to evaporate as each day goes by and they choose not to fulfill what they've promised us. Or maybe it's not even individuals that you're thinking of, promises that individuals made, but promises perhaps that God has made to you. Perhaps you wonder, can I really trust God in his word? Can I really recognize and believe what's said in the Bible as true? As having worth in my life? Will God actually come to renew the world like, like what he says he will do? Will, has God actually really come to save us? Does, does Drew, Jesus really truly come back again? Will all things be restored? Can I trust God? Perhaps Abram's question is, will I actually have an heir? And sometimes when things don't go the way we think, we often perhaps do just as what Abraham did. Just laugh it off a little bit. Because when things are uncomfortable, laughing somehow makes us feel better. But even, even with the slight questioning of Abraham, the laughing at the prospect of his 90-year-old wife having a child, the Lord sends some messengers and, and tells Abraham that his wife is going to get pregnant within the next year and, and they're going to have a child. And this time Sarah laughs. At 90 years old, within that one year, it was so. 25 long years waiting for the child of the promise, his heir, his flesh and blood, his son, Isaac was born. God's word, his promises at that moment sprang to life in the form of, of Isaac. And, Isaac, and Abraham was eagerly awaiting. We read in Genesis 21 of Isaac being born. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah to him. Abraham. Abraham can take God for his word because what God says he will do comes to fruition just as he had promised in the timing he had promised it. Now, Abraham would not go on to see his descendants be as numerous as the stars. Even though he didn't see the fulfillment of that last promise, perhaps, that all the nations would be blessed through his descendants, God did make 
God did make his family as numerous as the stars. Yes, through the nation of Israel, but also something much deeper than that. Galatians 3.29, if you want to head to the New Testament, says this, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. As children of God, as individuals who belong to Christ, we are heirs of the same promise that God spoke to Abraham. Abraham didn't see the day when many nations would be his heirs through Jesus. And we too wait, knowing the hope of our life is in Jesus the fulfillment of all the promises that are coming to fruition in the future will come through that one Son. The one Son that comes later through Mary. Even as we wait to experience those promises that God has set forth in our life, those promises that He has offered, we live each and every day in compatibility with what God has set forth forth in our life. Here at Princeton, we say it this way, we live for God, we love our neighbors, and we lead people to Christ. Living in cooperation with the Spirit to do those three things, to see the fullness of the kingdom come, to help Others experience just a portion of what that looks like. And we live. We live knowing and trusting that God makes good on all of His promises. That we can take Him for His Word and that we can trust what is written in Scripture because it's a story. One continuous story of God's never-stopping never giving up, always and forever love for His children, for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that when we reach out to You by speaking, that You hear us and You care for us and You listen. We thank you that, that unlike individuals in this word, world who we have to question their word and their intentions, that, that you are not one who we have to, to question. That you are one whose word is true. That you are one whose promises will come to fruition. So we pray that you would strengthen us just as you would strengthen and assure Abraham that the promises are true. And even if we're not here to see it, you will do what you have set forth to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.